Hi everyone, welcome to episode 14 of Books with Jen. The weather has turned. The weather has turned in the UK and it's feeling all autumnal. And that's great because the guest that I have on today's show is Anna James. Now Anna and I have known each other for quite a long time. I'm not sure how long, maybe about, maybe about 10 years. Um, Anna used to be a librarian, then she worked at the bookseller. She's a journalist and she runs the Lush Book Club. And this is her first book. It's the first in a series of middle grade children's books called Tilly and the Book Wanderers. The series as a whole is called Pages and Co. It's out today in the UK as you're listening to this. If you are outside of the UK you can also find the book on the book depository with free international shipping. Um, though if you can find it in a bookshop or a library obviously please go and do that. So Tilly and the Book Wanderers is about Tilly who is 11 she lives above a bookshop that her grandparents own called Pages and Co. She has a best friend called Oscar. Then one day she is confronted by characters from her favourite books who have come out of the pages of these books and are interacting with her. It's a book for book lovers and we're going to talk all about that and our love of books and how books give us the warm fuzzies and all of that. And what I particularly love about this series is the world building. Um, there's a whole reason behind why Tilly can see these characters, how she can travel between books, which is, as the title would suggest, called Book Wandering. There's a whole system in place which stems from a place called the Underlibrary, which Anna and I are going to talk about. And I just, I, I love geeking out of a world building like this. As a reader and a writer, it just gives me great joy. <laughs> if you know younger people in your life who you think would love this, please go buy it for them. And if not, please just read it yourself. If you love books, you're not going to be disappointed by this. Also stick around until the end of the podcast because Anna and I, well, I'm doing a book giveaway based on something that Anna said. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, then you can leave a comment in the description box. If you're listening to this on a podcast app, then please tweet me or drop me an email. I'm Jen V. Campbell at gmail.com. Uh, Jen V. Campbell on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, same handle most places. You can also find me on Patreon as well. Anyway, that's enough waffling from me let's go back to past me who is lounging on Anna's sofa where we're drinking tea eating donuts and talking about books I feel like you and I are kindred spirits we <laughs> both grew up in the northeast yes and we're both booksellers slash librarian slash lover of books yes and we both write about books about books yes <laughs> yes we are real life book wanderers huh yay yay <laughs> yeah yeah, I was saying to Anna before I started recording that I was really nervous to read her book. I'm always really nervous to read any book by someone that I know. Yeah, but and I understand so that. Good, oh, Anna, thank so you. Good, I thank cried. You. That makes me so happy. That's the weird thing about writing books that you suddenly you just love hearing that you've made your friends cry. Yeah, it's like I'm like yes, great. Yeah, the book's also so visual. I could totally picture it um, as some kind of TV or film. I was imagining like Jim Broadbent. As Tilly's granddad or something yeah. like that. Do you have any ideal, like, if it was to ever be made into something? Do you know, the, the, the only one I have an idea for is actually the one that you'd think would be the hardest, which is for Tilly. Oh, wow, well, yeah, yeah. Because I went to see Fun Home at mm. the Young Vic, and the girl who was playing young Alison blew me away. Mm. And she's just the right age. And she was incredible. So... And I mean, children age very quickly is the yeah, problem. But um, she's just how I imagine Tilly. And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to Jim Broadbent. You know, no, if he mean, wanted he to get no. involved. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have very specific ideas of what they look like yeah. in my head. So 
I don't have very kind of specific actors or actors that I kind of imagine as them. And it's easy to get carried away with these things as well. So And I think so too. And I, to be honest, when I'm writing, I don't picture exactly what someone looks like. I know some writers who have really detailed mood boards and they found someone that they really base someone off. And I just, I don't know. Whenever I, it's like um, trying to look at something at the corner of your eye or a floater. Like when I try and focus on something, mm-hmm. they kind of move a bit. Exactly. Yeah. I have exactly the same Fuzzy thing. around the edges. And yeah. I actually, I feel like as well, because my... A lot of the book is about the personal relationship we have with characters. Yes. And I really enjoy sort of leaving that space for people Mm. to imagine them differently. But then it caused problems with the illustrator because I don't physically describe any of the characters. Yeah. And so when the illustrator, Paula Escobar, was asked to draw them... And then I was like, but I don't, I was really annoying. And I was like, I'd really rather that the characters weren't drawn. Can we yeah. draw like other stuff? But we did have to do some of those. So the silhouette of Tilly on the, on the cover, honestly, we went back and forth. I need to look so at that. many times that? on her. And basically as well, they kept, it kept just being drawn like me, like her ginger I was, hair. I was picturing a young you, I have to say. This seems to, uh, this does seem to be common. Like this, I've had that a lot. And I yeah. think I probably need to just, even though I don't really see Tilly has, like, she has, obviously has elements of me, but she's yeah. not me when I was 11. But I don't think that other people will think that. It's just because no. I know you. Yeah. And surely the people who've read it so far kind of know who you are as well. Yeah, no, and that's that's fair. Everyone imagines her as ginger. Yeah. But, and that's okay. I imagine everyone is ginger, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's fine. I'm just going to embrace it. That's fine. Yeah. She can have ginger hair. So I, it's been so fun, like, I was going to say, watching this process. I haven't examined this process closely, <laughs> but we had, I think it was, we were having brunch when you were in the middle of just about to sign for these books. Wow, okay. Which feels so long ago. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was about two years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, so talk us through everything. When did okay. you start <laughs> writing Pages and Co? Okay, so I had a bit of a backwards uh sort of journey to all of this um, and one which I'm sometimes a bit wary of talking about because I don't want to seem at all like ungrateful or like there was any nepotism involved mm-hmm. but when I worked at the bookseller mm-hmm. um, just because of my job I knew lots of agents yeah. and I had a few agents ask me if I was writing um, and I'd always been like no no I there is enough good books in the world I don't want to write something just because mm. of the sort of opportunity and I love writing about other people's books. I'm very creatively satisfied by that. And then I just had this idea. Mm. Um, and I just could, I just had to, I had to have a go. And an agent, so my agent turned out to be my agent, Claire Wilson, but an agent I'd admire from afar for a while happened to just message me just after I'd had this idea yeah. and said, do you write? And I was like, well, I actually, no, but I've just had this idea and I don't suppose you fancy having coffee Mm -hmm. and so I met up with Claire and we just got on really well and told her about the idea and she liked it and then she was like you know if you do write it please do so when was this so that was probably three years ago so then I sort of like messed around and dabbled with it and then I wrote a first line which isn't the first line anymore but a first line at the time I really liked it It is still in there actually it's the title of the first chapter it's um it was the view, what was it, the, it was the start of the summer holidays and, oh I don't know, something about the view from the gates of the fairground and I just love the idea of like something 
the, the holidays yeah, the opening out. Yeah, so it's yeah. later in the chapter because I couldn't quite bring myself to get rid of it. Um, mm. And that just was the way I like wrote my way in. So I wrote about 10,000 words and then we went out on submission and that was summer... 2016. 2016. Yeah. Um, so we went on submission with 10,000 words and sold it. And then I wrote it between sort of September 2016 and March 2017. Yeah. And we should say at this point that you had submitted it as a standalone. Yes. the publisher was like, have you thought? Yes. So every, I w- everyone who offered for it mm-hmm. offered for three books. Yeah. So, and sometimes you just, you know, like, public, they obviously, they have good instincts for these mm-hmm. things, they know. So it was a lot, it was a lot smaller in my head to start with, and it was much more focused on the bookshop and characters coming into the bookshop. Yeah. Um, and more of Tilly's life outside the bookshop and the characters and books sort of helping her with that. Okay. And then I just got caught up in the idea of, I just wanted to make it more magical and more yeah. fantasy, and I just sort of got caught up in the idea of what would a sort of the community around book wandering look like, and that very much was what I wanted to write and it seemed a very natural place for the story to go and having read it I can't imagine it being a standalone now I mean the world is so huge because there are so many places that you can take it right it's amazing um one of my favorite bits in Harry Potter is when they go to um Simungo's and when they go to the Ministry of Magic yeah and the book gave me the warm feelings Ah. for those things that makes me very happy, although I'm always deeply anxious when anybody references Harry Potter because no, I feel I like know. it's almost a bit of a curse. No, it's not a curse. It's not a curse. No, but no, that no. makes me very happy. Because it doesn't, it doesn't remind me of Harry Potter. Okay, I'm good. not thinking, oh, and it's done Harry Potter. <laughs> that's not what no, I mean. that's a ridiculous... Yeah. No, but it's just... It, ga- it gave me that feeling where you get... It's, I don't know, inside a world that you feel like you know, which is why I think I like the St. Mungo's book so much, because that's something that's part of the book so much, yeah. because it's an insight to the adult world when we haven't seen that right. before. And that's what you get in here when they go to a place called the Underlibrary. <laughs> and it's like the adult working world. Yeah. And I love the kids and everything to do with them, but when you just want to see how it works, yeah. it's I so have cool. the most fun creating the all of that. Yeah. Mm. Um, and even though I got a bit tangled up sometimes in the book wondering rules mm. um it was so much fun and like you say like now when i think about it it seems mad that i considered doing it differently but, but you have to start from somewhere and yeah then, and then you work out so we should explain maybe without giving too much away okay. what the under library is um so it's in the british library yes so as the name suggests <laughs> it's underneath, underneath the, the british, british library, library. <laughs> sometimes i tried to think, like in my head it was just called the under library and then i tried i was like oh maybe it needs like a snazzier name but then actually i just really no kind of the simplest i think simplest sometimes works best yeah so there is um actually you've read the proof so we slightly tweaked okay. it in the only only we got locked in a debate about so there's a bit in the middle of the British Library mm-hmm. called the King's Library, which if you've been there, you'll know. But it's like this kind of tower of very old books, which hasn't got public access unless you kind of book a tour. Mm. And inside there, there's the entrance to the under library. And we had a big debate about how uh, noticeable it would be, because in the proof, it's it's still a lift, but now it has an out-of-order sign okay. on it. Yeah. Uh, so there's an out of a seemingly out-of-order lift. Um it's the sort of things you'll know. You'll know this. Like you get locked in the most nitty gritty oh, yeah. editing. Is not, it's not really. I we didn't do a lot of sort of big structural changes, mm-hmm. but you get like locked in these tiny discussions about. But if there was just a regular lift, then surely people who work there would go and go in the lift. And like, what would you 
what would you do and just small things like that the logical illogical conversations that you have to have like at the moment I'm talking with Thames and Hudson about the third Franklin book which is coming out next year and in that it's Franklin's birthday and he's 606 and Thames and Hudson had thought or someone at Thames and Hudson thought that meant he was really old so they came back and they were like Jen we really like this but at the end can we reference Franklin's age again and how he's happy to be going on adventures when he's so old and I was like but he's not old but he's 606 i'm like yeah but for a dragon (laughs) and then you have to have these hilarious conversations yeah and you have these conversations yeah where it's like the whole you just have to accept that the world you've created is real yeah and you get into these really specific serious conversations about this magic that you've made up yeah but Um, magic must have rules yes and it's always better like like, you know it's it's much better that there is an out of order sign on the lift and it's just little touches like that that often like really i think Mm. elevate things and bring them to life so so people go into the under library and the under library is it's the yeah so it's the kind of community the hub around british book wandering so it's where the librarians work which tangent so as an ex-librarian one of the things I'm endlessly frustrated by is sort of the common the cliches you get about librarians and how often even in books librarians are these very cliched shushing they're either like not in children's fiction so much but obviously they're either like sex pots or Mm -hmm. they are shushing grumpy old ladies who hate books and people with lots of cardigans yeah and I hate that because I worked in libraries for years and so few, I was going to say nuts. <laughs> Most of the librarians, no, they're not, obviously they're not like that. Yeah. And I really wanted to write some, well, I wanted to write at least one cool librarian. So yeah. there's, a, there's the, the head librarian at the under library, Amelia Whisper, is just my favourite. Um, but just, yeah, librarians who are regular people and mm. I think they're cool. Um, there are still cardigans though. I know, yeah. but I like that too. <laughs> you need cardigans though, I swear, like, especially in the bookshop that I worked at was so freezing exactly yeah you need them cardigans are good has to be some realism yeah Yeah. did you have a lot of fun naming the characters yes it's one of my favourite things to do Um, it's really nice in middle grade because you can do that you know there's a librarian called Amelia Whisper Mm -hmm. like the people who run a bookshop their surname is Pages yeah names and you can do that and you can be a little bit more knowing and almost audacious with it and sort of tell the character something, tell the audience something about the character and it doesn't matter that that's not really what I put. And I just love, like, I spent ages coming up with my baddie's name as well and who's called Enoch Chalk and I'm really proud of that name. I really, like, when I worked out, I was like, ah, yes, I've got it. So it's really satisfying and I'm having a lot of fun. I'm writing the second book at the moment. I'm having lots of fun with my new characters coming up with the, coming up with names. Although it's a nightmare, isn't it, until you've worked it out. Uh, and actually there's a character in the book who works in the bookshop called Jack who is called Jack just because it's Jack. just like a name it's just like a boy's name and I know someone called Jack and I was just like and then actually he just ended up being Jack so he stayed Jack and yeah I don't know if you know this person but Jack in my head is Matthew La- Matthew Land from Blackwell's Oxford I don't know him you, don't, oh, you have to meet him okay. because he is he is oh really Jack. <laughs> he's great he he um he painted the mural on the uh, on the wall and he is an illustrator and he just takes great pleasure in doing all of the events. Amazing. And just, he's just, he's the sweetest guy. Okay. Fab. Matthew, oh, if you're okay. listening to this, you're in a book, you should read it. Um, he is, no, he's great. Okay, he's that, makes, that makes me very happy. I'll yeah. have to go and find him. Go find him, <laughs> go meet him, go find him. Um, we didn't address this at the beginning, but why did you decide to do middle grade? So when I first started thinking about it, it was going to be YA, which 
I think I didn't really stop to think about it. So many of my friends are YA writers. Mm. And I think I just had sort of assumed if I wrote a book, it would be YA because that's what so many of my close friends write. Yeah. And so Tilly was actually 17 when I, in the very, very first draft. Um, because actually, so part of the idea came from, have you seen the film Empire Records? It's like a 90s, No, but I think I saw you reference uh, yeah. that somewhere, yeah. It's like this amazing slash naff, like 90s, I think, like film uh, with, it's got like a young Renee Zellweger and young Liv Tyler in it. It's about like a group of teenagers who work in a record store in America. Oh, maybe I have seen bits of this. And yeah. I loved it so much when I was a teenager and I really, one of the things I was sort of pulling from was the idea of a British bookshop version of it mm. and a group of kind of teenagers working in a bookshop and it, that never really kind of ended up being in the draft at all like a group of a group of teenagers but Tilly so Tilly was 17 and it just um it just didn't work mm. um also it turns out I don't think I don't think I'm very good at writing YA I don't think I would like I'm not good at gritty okay <laughs> and I just felt like I was being don't you you know you read YA that's so patronizing it's like oh the youth of today and I just felt like I was writing one of those terrible YA books which was completely divorced from what teenagers are like and I knew that because I worked with teenagers yeah. for years and I was like this is what am I doing I, these aren't these aren't real people um, and then I just had like an epiphany moment basically where I was like, oh, what happens if she was younger? Yeah. And so I made her 11 and everything just fell into place. And that was when I wrote those first 10,000 words really, really quickly. I love middle grade as well. I love reading middle grade. I, le- I read more middle grade than I read YA. And also the books that I loved as a child were what we would class as middle grade. Such as? Now, like, I mean, the classics, basically. And a lot of the books that are in there, so things like E. Nesbitt and Anna Green Gables yeah. and Eva Ibbotson yeah. as well and sort of Diana Wynne-Jones is like Crestomancy series. I think yes. probably those... Uh, middle grade and why I didn't really sort of exist blurred, as such. Yeah. Um, but I think probably they'd be published, like, as middle grade because they've got that kind of classic feel. Like when Hitler saw Pink Rabbit. Yes. Um, so books like that. Those, yes. Yes. Those were the books that I loved. Um, and why it wasn't really a thing when I was a teenager. And what we had was very American. So like I read lots of yeah. Sweet Valley High books and that. So uh, in high, again, it's that whole thing. In hindsight, it mm-hmm. co- of course it was that it couldn't have been any other way. Yeah. Um, and also just because you can have that sense of, not that you can't have a sense of magic and wonder in YA, but you can have a, do you know what? You can have an earnestness with middle yeah. grade. And I mean that as a compliment. Like I love writing earnest books yeah. I'm not very cynical as a, I like to think I'm not very cynical as a person and I like read I don't like reading cynical books either and with middle grade you can just be sincere that's maybe a better word than earnest yeah I know what you mean especially with way I mean being a teenager Jesus Christ I, I do not want to go back to those <laughs> no, years oh goodness, but no. there's so many things going on in your head at that point you're developing so much as a person regardless of whatever happens to be going on around you and any magic so it's just extra I don't know, it's just, that's a whole other story in itself. Yeah. Right, and I just, I think it's on my natural writing style, I think the thing about a debut is it kind of falls into being some sort of like instinctual thing. Yes. Because you're not really thinking so much, it's your first idea for a book, so, Mm -hmm. and it just worked in that voice, and it just was, so it wasn't so much that I was like, I need to make it middle grade, it was that I need Tilly to be younger. Also, when, when you're that age, that is the age where you're developing really personal feelings towards books mm-hmm. and learning what you really like right. so the magic fits in with that too right yeah okay so you wrote the book um, you sent yes. it they said we want three <laughs> yay uh and then so yes yeah, so and i wrote the first draft over about six months and then there was a bit of a delay because i had a bit of an uh editor 
In the I am on my third editor. Okay. So my first editor left to she moved to Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. She hadn't done really. She acquired it, but hadn't done any editorial work on it. Okay. And then I had another editor who I worked with it for the most part, but there was lots of just stuff like changeovers and yeah. stuff. Um. So she edited most of it, Sarah, and she was amazing. So then we edited it relatively. Oh, so initially when they bought it, they were contemplating publishing it in October last year. Yeah. Right. But then they realised that actually, if they were asking for a first draft in March, that was um, Intense, yeah. incredibly tight turnaround for editing and then leaving time for PR and proofs and stuff. So we, before I'd even finished the first draft, that was moved. So then we edited it quite leisurely um, over probably a year yeah and during that time Sarah left HarperCollins and I have now worked with Rachel um and it was a really nice process because we had a little bit of time Mm -hmm. because once we decided to push it we contemplated doing it in the spring but it's a very autumnal book yeah Yeah. it's set in October half term (laughs) yes and it just would have been it just made it would have been silly to not publish it any other time. Yeah. Um, so editing it was actually a really enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. I think because I am a journalist, I am very used to feedback on my writing. And actually when you're a journalist, feedback is less caring. Mm. You know, I'm very used to having an editor just be like, make this a bit better, make this a bit shorter, great, thanks, do it by next week. And I've had to develop a fairly thick skin for mm-hmm. feedback on my work. So actually when you have an editor who's being so caring and thoughtful over everything you've done I actually I didn't find it I I loved getting the editorial notes because it was so much more so much kinder than editorial notes that I'm used to does yours leave comments not just about stuff to change but I really like this yes yeah and you <laughs> never get that as a journalist they just yeah. say what you have to make better you don't get like you never get like you don't get positive feedback or you know it's just like great thanks you know? I, I think uh, book editors realize that we write as a fragile people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's lovely. I felt so looked after and cared (laughs) for. And I also just really, I really like editing. I like making my work better. Mm -hmm. I like learning from people who know their stuff. Mm -hmm. And Sarah Hughes, who did the majority of the editing, she, like, she's amazing. Like, she's edited, like, Percy Jackson, like, the worst witch books. Like, Mm -hmm. she just knows, she's incredible. And it was, the book is so much better because of it. And I loved working on it and having her perspective on it. Um, so editing was really, I really enjoyed it. Was there any huge change that you both agreed on during the process or was it just little things here and there? Um, there wasn't any big sort of struck, like there wasn't any fundamental changes I just find that really interesting because I think, um, I don't know how true this is, (laughs) book rumours in the industry, but I heard that the first... Harry Potter book had a bit of book six in it to begin with, oh, and I was like, wow. No, that's interesting. I've never heard that. That is interesting. Maybe it's a lie. I think I was I was kind of prepared for more yeah. structural mm. editing. It was a lot more kind of the... It was We did a lot of work on the pacing, mm. and I think just because it's sort of the first book, I've never written a book before, like yeah. even, like I don't have any, like, desk draw novels and again it's that whole I'm used to writing articles and my sense of pace was I found like within each chapter there was a nice sense of pace because I'm used to writing in that sort of length chunks but um but also at the beginning it's difficult because you've got so much to explain and so much setting up right yeah yeah and also I had uh the first draft was a little bit too wish fulfillmenty because basically I just wanted to do use the books that I loved uh, so the actually probably the biggest change was that uh, this is slight like it's not too spoilery but they so in the 
the finished but they go into Treasure Island at one point. I mean, there's a, literally a picture of Long John Silver on the cover, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> but that and that was The Wind in the Willows originally. Oh, okay. So they went to The Wind in the Willows and they had a picnic with Ratty and Mole, which was a delightful scene. And my editor was like, this is very nicely written, but nothing happens with the plot. Yeah. And she was like, there's no, you need more peril. Yeah. Because basically, as me, I was like, well, if I could book wonder... Yes. And obviously you'd go to all the nice bits. Like yeah. you'd go and have a picnic with Ratty and Mole on the riverside. But of course, for a book, you need a little bit more peril. So. I like that change though. Because it is, it is very uh, different to the rest of it. And it's the first time where the characters think, oh shit. Right. And that's the thing. Like I'd said, you know, it's said that the, you can... So if you're book wandering, if you're injured or you die in a book, you it's you're real. Dead, yeah. And But there was no... Until it sort of ramps up to the finale, there was nothing to... Mm. show that and this is again just an editor like as soon as they say it you're like of course yeah but it needed that external mm-hmm. person to be like and as soon as she said that because then again she's just great Sarah's amazing cause she doesn't say do this Have she said she's it? like right and so she didn't say you know put Treasure Island in she was <laughs> like maybe think about this this and this and I Okay, so I love the Muppet Treasure Island, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also had issues that when I wrote it, I realised that some of the some of the references are not true because I was pulling from the Muppet <laughs> film, not the books. So I've read I read the book when I was a kid, and I read certain bits to like get it, get for the for the for my book. Yeah. But basically, so at proofs, so I had sent it to. Um, my friend Chris Smith, who's co-writer of Kid Normal, and he had messaged me, and he was like, I don't want to be that guy, but, like, but do you want me guy. to tell you? He was like, no, he was really nice about it. So, like, do you want me to tell you if there's a mistake? And I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, yes, because we've got time to yeah. change it. But I was like, what? Just worrying that it was some, like, fundamental, like, contradiction of the magic. And he was like, so, basically, <laughs> there's a character on the... So, they're on the Hispaniola. Yeah. And there's a character, and he was like, he's not on the Hispaniola like he dies at the start of the book and I realised that it's because I was pulling my references from <laughs> the Muppet Treasure Island not That's the book um, and so we've so we because that was really easy to sort yeah. and it was fine but um, yes uh, in my head like Long John Silver is a uh, what's his name Tim Curry mm-hmm. um, so I'm not going to pretend that that's not the case no. uh, I love that film so much yeah. and I listened to the soundtrack <laughs> while I was writing those scenes but again it's that thing when you look back and Treasure Island is the perfect book to use in that scenario and I also it's I mean you get better at writing as you write because mm-hmm. that chapter actually even though that was one of the biggest changes that was once it was written was one of the chapters that had the least Edits editing you, yeah. done and once I sort of worked it out it just worked and it mm. fitted perfectly and it was really fun to write and now that it's going to be three yes and you're writing them is it fun to leave easter eggs for yourself <laughs> yes it's I have tried to because of not realizing it was a series mm. I didn't have like a it wasn't all planned out at yeah, the yeah. start so I I have the the top arc mm-hmm. sorted I know that um, but a lot of the specifics, I, You're figuring I'm out. still working out. So there's small things. There's things I know I want to do in the third book that I'm able to sort of leave references to. But I, it's just about trying to, yeah, you want to have some Easter eggs, but you also don't want to write yourself into corner. a corner. So then when I come to actually write book three, I'm like, oh my goodness, why did I do that to myself? I thought I was being so clever, but I've yeah. just caused myself loads of problems. So I'm trying to get the balance right. It's, it's, it's easier with book two because I'm obviously just two thirds of the way through the series whereas when I was writing book one I was more worried about Mm -hmm. and also just because I had a really tight deadline to do that 
finish that first draft. Yeah. Um, but I had more of a chance in the edits when I was had chance to sort of sit down and think about the rest of the series a bit more, to then go back and pop some stuff in. Yeah. Some stuff. Yeah. It's always fun to notice what's important later, so I look forward to find out that. But out. hopefully, it all comes together. <laughs> You're like, I'm looking forward to finding out. Yes, too. me too. <laughs> yeah. So apart from the plot of the book, and the, which is obviously massively important to any book, <laughs> what key things did you want to put in there that you think are important? I mean, the obvious one is just that love of books mm-hmm. and book places, as in bookshops and libraries. And it's just... It's not a cliche because it's real, but it's obviously a fairly universal... Oh, this is a post. <laughs> it's a it's a fairly universal feeling. Yeah. But I and we talked about you know said right at the start, like I just love books about books. Yeah. And I wanted to write one. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to have I wanted my book to be full of the things that I love to read. Mm-hmm. Um and I love books about books and books about stories. I love books that pull in mm-hmm. I'm such a sucker for like I like fictionalised books about like fictionalised lines of writers yeah. and references to fictional characters so that was very much the kind of core the core thing I also wanted to have great oh we talked about great librarians but I also wanted to have great grandparents Mm -hmm. um I was really close to my grandparents um and particularly my granddad is very much uh, Tilly's granddad Mm -hmm. and that's the only character that's that's kind of like an explicit sort of inspired by a real person and he was really formative to my relationship with books and reading and so I wanted to, I wanted to have a little bit of him in the book. Um, I'm actually, uh, I can't, I'm writing an article about him at the moment. And can you know And like, I just it's... get really emotional about oh. it. But like, he just, uh, he was so supportive of my writing and reading and he would have been so incredibly proud. And I find it really hard that he doesn't know, but then that's why it's special that he's in the book, you know? Yeah, that's So true. that was really something that's, it's such a privilege as a writer to be able to create things that exist beyond you and it's nice to have a bit of my granddad in the book you're gonna make me cry it's not even my granddad (laughs) no no no, that's okay 1500 words about it i can't (laughs) i've been crying i have to write it in really small chunks because it makes me really emotional but yeah yeah so um tilly's granddad is really the heart of the book Mm. in many ways and i you have to have some kind of like parent shenanigans in a children. You know, you have to get the parents out of the way for adventures to happen. Is it Philip Pullman who said that? Yeah. For any great maybe. adventure, it's true to university maybe knowledge. We'll... For any great adventure, a child must first lose their parents. Right, yeah. and it's true, you know. Uh, but I also really wanted there to be that really positive parental esque relationship yes. with her grandparents, and she's really close to her grandparents, mm. and that was that was important. Are they going to go to France? Yeah, how do you know that? Well, I, I was just thinking that because oh. I was thinking of oh, Oscar okay. and yeah, no, sorry, it does say in the book. I was like, how on earth do Oscar is half French? Yes, so yeah. That's, yeah. So Oscar is Tilly's new friend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they do. They go to. <laughs> like, like, how do you know that? <laughs> yeah, so they go to Paris in the Yay. second book, um, which is lots of fun. Um, to visit Oscar's dad. Research trip to Paris. So. I know. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, probably going to try and uh, get away with that yeah Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) what I love as well there's a a nod to to uh, parents reading the book too and things that they can find as well Um, so near the beginning of the book the very beginning of the book Tilly's granddad says um, I think it's it's her granddad you should get out of the house you you can come with me to the woods 
and I'm just thinking fairy tales. Or you can come with me and pick up the flowers for the party. And I'm like, Mrs. Dalloway! It made me so happy! I, I think you have to be really careful because you never want to write a children's book where it doesn't work. It has Everything has to work for children. Yeah. Because you know when you go, you read those books, you go to those films where it's like, there's either there's jokes for kids and there's jokes for adults and they're separate Disney, jokes. Disney are really good at melding those two and things. And yeah. they are. And mm-hmm. I it was really important to me that even though I wanted to put lots of references in for adults to enjoy it was really important to me that none of them were at the expense of the child's reading experience so it's things that can just read as details Mm -hmm. um but it's just as a reader it's just so much fun being able to like slip in lots of little references and some that are like foreshadowing for future things and some which are just for fun the cleverest things are often the things that just happen Mm -hmm. Um, and not you're like oh my goodness I need to get a reference to this in yeah. but sometimes you're just writing a scene and it just works and you're like oh, that's, that's aligned nicely yeah um, but you have to take you have to take those moments because so much of it is such hard graft and oh, terribleness yeah. that what I think yeah it's okay to say that sometimes it just works and sometimes it does wonderful people always ask you like um, is it fun writing a book and I always laugh and I'm like, I cry all the time. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But at the end of every day, when I look back over what I've done, yeah. I love it. And that's yeah. fine. Not not necessarily what I've written, but I love the having written. Right. Yeah. But and there to are get that way, yeah, where are. you're just in it and it's working and it's magical and it's such. I'm just like, I can't believe someone lets me do this. Yeah. Like literally, I'm just make like lit. I mean, obviously, I'm making up stories, but like. There's just sometimes I have this like kind of out of body experience where I'm typing and I'm like, I can just type anything. I'm just make yeah. literally making up stories. Like what a privilege. And going back to that inserting things that mm. have to work as part of the story, not not literary references this time, but just things that just make me happy and are gonna make <laughs> so many people happy. Like Oscar having dyslexia, um, and him asking if listening to audiobooks is reading until he's like, Of course that's reading. Yeah, and Amelia saying at some point, can you go find uh, a tea lady or maybe even a tea man? <laughs> I was like, yes, I can't resist. I can't <laughs> resist. If I love it, um, I think with Oscar it's really important because I think that I didn't want to have. It is a very booky book, but it was really important to me to like show that there's yes, there's no one way of reading and that any sort of reading is valid. And like I worked as a school librarian for nearly five years, and mm. I worked with children who just had really different relationships to books, and one isn't that's not one which is better or more important so it's really important to me to have Oscar yeah sort of have a slightly different relationship to books to Tilly mm. um well I think yeah. probably around the same time when you were doing uh being a librarian and I was being a bookseller mm-hmm. they were talking about age range and coming in and there was a huge backlash rightly so against it and we did like a whole campaign against it because it's just it's it's just so detrimental to a child's love of reading age ranging they wanted to have standard age ranging on the back of every book um and i think it had been at least part of it was kick-started by someone complaining about a Jacqueline Wilson book right. in Asda because Nick Sherrett does all of the illustrations for all of the books and um, one of the teenage books had been put in the middle grade section. A grandparent had bought it for their granddaughter and it had a rude word in it so they mm. complained and said, we need age ranging and all of this stuff. But, it, you know, with people who have different reading abilities, different reading ages, and I'm right. air-quoting here because, again, that's age ranging itself you don't want to make a child feel right. like they're reading below their age. Because um, as you know, as a librarian and bookseller, parents always come in and go, my child is right. so <laughs> far advanced, and so above their age and all of that. 
And um, so age ranging is bad. Yes. And um, I think anything that dismantles that is great. Yeah. I also think um, it makes me think of, I think, how great what Barrington Stoke are doing mm-hmm. with their books that are appropriate in tone and subject for teenagers, but yes. that are appropriate also for dyslexic readers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so great that they're doing doing that so they're proper like it's teen book in content yeah. and vibe but yeah well hockey do that as well don't they they um they have it's oh, not like, age ranging but they have the a wheel, wheel back, yeah which says what's inside so theme wise so you right. can work out by a content whether or not it's right because that's someone, the thing no yeah. one is saying that we shouldn't give give help so that parents and grandparents can choose the right book yes um, but there's ways of doing that that isn't just whacking a number on it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why librarians and booksellers are so. Well, that's the other thing. Like, if you go to if you go to a bookshop and, and just ask somebody. a bookseller, then you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> or you can tweet us as well. That's yes, okay always. Too. Yes, always. <laughs> and then go to a bookshop or yeah. a library. Absolutely. <laughs> so writing a book, you've been in the book industry for so long. Yes. Yes, and you've seen everything from various different perspectives, <laughs> yeah. from friends of writers, and then from publishing. Yep. I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for you. I felt like I understood everything and I knew it and I knew how it worked. And that's true to some extent, but there are always things that you didn't know or things that surprised you. So what have been the things that have surprised you? Um, I thought that knowing a bit more about the process would make... <laughs> that sounds so naive. It make me more relaxed about it and less stressed. That was nonsense. If anything, it's made me more stressed. I wish I knew nothing about it. Like, yeah. so I, like, I was a scout for a bit, so I like, yeah. just worked in foreign rights. And so, oh so my goodness. A, a scout, just... by the way, for those of you who don't know, someone who sent books that are published in other countries and then you're, you're, you're trying them for translations, is that right? Yes. yes. Other way around for us. So we worked for, we worked for European publishers so we read books in English and recommended to yes. them, yeah, which which books they might like to translate. Yeah. Um, and I just, I'm so annoying because I'm always wanting to know exactly what's going on with my foreign rights yeah. in a really specific way. And like, I have opinions on publishers in different countries, and mm. like, I just, I just, there's a bit. I just sometimes wish I didn't know as much. But you have to just embrace it because you can't change. And there's there's so many benefits to understanding. Yes. And I do think actually probably. There are things that I have found less stressful because I, like, just that I know that publishing is slow. Like, it didn't stress me out when we moved the publication date. Yeah. Because I understood the reasons and I knew that it wasn't because they hated the book. (laughs) Another writer would have completely, like, if someone who didn't understand that, because that is terrifying to be like, we're not publishing for a whole year. Because it feels like an eternity. Yeah. It's come around very quickly. It has. Although it didn't feel, but, uh, you know, I understood those reasons. They were really sensible reasons. And publishing, I also understand that publishing in October means that a publisher has faith in your book yes. so it was good that they wanted to keep it in the October slot and that's and... because so many are published at that time of year right it's yes. a very competitive time of year yeah. um, because of Christmas um, so it's stuff like that that is useful I'm trying to think of what was the most surprise I'm not sure I've had any like full on yeah. surprises well maybe surprises at how you felt about something rather than finding out something new I found the whole thing deeply surreal mm-hmm. I still feel a little bit like it hasn't quite sunk in yeah and that I, I think, so one of my best friends, um, Katie, um, describes me as, so when I'm in a, a, when I'm dealing with something that's particularly sort of heightened emotions, she says I go full Ravenclaw. So basically, instead of just feeling anything, I just go full Ravenclaw and I go straight into my like intellectual brain and mm-hmm. I just like intellectualize everything. Mm-hmm. And I had like a really stressful year last year with personal stuff and I definitely did that and I think I do it with the book Mm 
because people keep saying like, oh, did you cry when you saw the book? And I, and I, I didn't. And I, I sort of haven't had, and I think it's because I go into that bit of my brain because I feel like if I start crying, I'm never going to stop because yeah. I'm so overwhelmed at having a book published. And so I, I think I almost overprotect myself by just being like, okay, this is happening. Great, great. Okay. And analyzing it. And sometimes I feel like when I'm talking to HarperCollins about the book, I forget that I'm talking about my book. I just feel like I'm going to discuss somebody else's book and we're yeah. just being like, oh yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, but the only time I've actually just lost it was at my launch. But that was, again, not so much to do with the book as to do with, like... Can I guess what you're going to say? Yes. That people that you've supported in the industry came to support you, was it there? Well, a little... It's sort of. It mm. was just... I just, like, looked around the room and I just felt over... It sounds so cheesy, but I just felt overwhelmingly lucky mm-hmm. to know so many great people. And that was what... That was what made me cry. And then I turned around and I saw my sister, like, weeping in the corner. So <laughs> that was what made me cry. But it's really... It's really surreal and it's incredibly special to have a book coming out because books have just defined my life in so many ways and the idea that it might mean what my favourite books meant to me as a child to a child is it it is so incredibly you're going to get letters you're going to get letters oh my gosh I got my first card from the daughter of someone who works at HarperCollins who'd read an early one and she made me a card and that actually that was the other time I cried yeah because I think that it's really easy to get caught up, especially when you know the industry, to get caught up in PR and marketing and sales and all of that, which is important. Yes. And it has to be done and understood and it's good and the people who do it are amazing. But particularly when you've written a children's book, it's so... I find it very... That's what I think about if I'm feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Is that actually that who I've actually written it for. And I have that card on my desk. And when I'm struggling with book two, it's... Uh, I look at that because it's pretty magical to think that a child has read it and just enjoyed it and ah, that's what gets me that's what gets me yeah I was sent a picture of a book and it said once upon a time there was an author called Jen Campbell Mm. and then this little boy who drawn a dragon and I was just like oh my god I'm gonna cry and someone went this Franklin Fall World there's gonna be Tilly's there's gonna be Tilly's although Tilly's just like (laughs) like I should have given her a more distinctive outfit because I'm like you got she's really she's just as she's just like a regular like I should have given her like a really really obvious I don't know like a weird hairstyle or like weird glasses but <laughs> parents can if, if they're stuck as well they just be like Tilly yeah go great yourself. no there we go that's what I'm actually helping parents <laughs> you are, you are helping just out the give parents. them a book to hold like give them a copy oh no I was going to say a copy that really would give something in the book away give them a copy of Anna Green Gables yeah <laughs> yeah because there's a book that there's a book that's important but I don't I mean I probably could mention it to and it wouldn't give away the specifics, but I'm not going to risk it. The problem is that we know why it's important, so we're yeah. reading into things that other people wouldn't. But right. now we've said that, we definitely can't say what the book yeah, is. Yeah, no, <laughs> It's hard to tell when you know all the plot twists to be like, I, I feel like I'm sometimes like I can't work out what's, yeah. what I can say and what I can't say without giving everything away because I know mm. it all. Okay. I always ask everyone this at the end okay. of a podcast. <laughs> what is a book that you would recommend at the moment? Um, I... Can I do one that's out and one that's not out yet? Yeah, you can do that, yeah. Because the one I really want to recommend isn't out till March, and I realise that's really annoying when people do that. Um, 
because it's quite far away. But I just read A Proof of the Doll Factory by Elizabeth McNeil. <gasps> so McNeil. excited to it's read It's so this. good. <laughs> it's set in like, it's about like the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood and it's set in London and it's about art and gender and like power and it's so good. It's it's really in the vein of like the Miniaturist and the Essex Serpent, that really mm-hmm. blend of like really good writing, but it's got a proper plot. It's really tense. Yeah. I enjoyed it more than both of those books, um, which I and I and liked both of those books, but this is just, I really loved it. It ticks so many of my boxes. So that's coming out in March. Oh, and also that's actually really good because they sent me two proof copies. So oh. guys listening, if you guys would like to win a proof Excellent. copy. We did not plan this. No. This is good. So if you would like to win a copy of that book, Leave a comment down below. If you're listening to this on the podcast app, drop me a tweet um, and just say that you're interested in winning it and I'll pick a, a winner um, by the 10th of October. There we go. So you've got a little <laughs> oh, while. excellent. Yeah. No, okay, I, that's I'm also, pleasing. Also, f- follow her on Instagram and oh, look yes. at all the pottery that she's she made. She's a potter as well. Actually, oh, it's not. we're not recording visually, but Elizabeth made me a mug. <gasps> so she? I only, we know each other through just because just twitter and then yeah. i just read the book and we've just been chatting and she made me a mug for my book oh, that's so which is really nice. nice yeah um so she's generally brilliant mm-hmm. um, how old is she um uh, like i would say i feel like late 20s i think she's younger than us right yeah yes yeah i'm sorry elizabeth if you listen to this and i've got that horribly <laughs> wrong i would say late 20s yeah, yeah. one of those yeah. disgustingly talented young people i mean i'm we hate them. Fairly young, I hope. So. I, yeah, Actually, no. I've got a three at the start now. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and then the book, other book, book that's out now, I'm reading uh, America is Not the Heart at the moment mm-hmm. by Elaine Castillo, which uh, is about sort of race and immigration and food and sex in 90s uh, America. Are you doing a Cheltenham event for that? Yes. Yeah, and I'm really, it's one of those, you'll know this, you, you know, read a lot of books for events and mm-hmm. it's just always such a pleasure when it's, I just... I'm it's one of those books I'm so glad that I had a reason to read it because yes. it's brilliant. Yeah. It's really good. Um so I would really I'd really recommend that as well. Cool. Well, as Ella said, she's gonna be at Cheltenham and she'll be at other places too. You can come yes. find her, go to her website to find out oh, where she's going to be. No, I no? don't have a proper way. I need to well I have don't a go to her no website. I exists. need to turn my website into something that's authory okay. or start a new authory one. Okay, go to Twitter. 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 Alright, go to Twitter, <laughs> find out where she is, don't stalk her, be nice about it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh so thank you. This was very nice. Thank you. We've just been eating donuts and drinking tea and it's perfect. Just lovely. Perfect. Excellent. We're gonna go do some work now or eating or eat we're gonna go <laughs> eat. eating not more donuts but we're gonna go eat something else yeah all right bye bye i hope you enjoyed this episode of books with jen if you did please like review and subscribe i've got lots of different guests coming up in the next few months so i will be back in touch with you guys very very soon bye